Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast series five and today uh, we have Mary Hogan on the show, uh, she is a therapist so we're going to be talking all things mental health, all things self-care and well-being which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, so Mary, welcome to the show, uh, how are you? Hi Carl, I'm good, thank you, thank you for having me on and part of the show, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this first question I I'd, I want to ask you is uh, what got you what got you into therapy? Um, and helping good people. Question. Um, so I guess I always kind of found myself in that type of role, like listener, advisor, confidant kind of role in my life, in most of my friendships, and I just kind of thought you know what this is something I think I could actually be quite good at in terms of a career um it was kind of like how do I make this or translate this into to a career and when I was younger like therapists weren't really a thing um but yeah I, I so that was kind of the the main thing that led me to it but I'm also the the other part of it is I'm very curious about like human beings fascinate me. Why do we behave the way we do? How do our brains work? What makes us tick? Why do we do things that aren't always good for us? Um, so there's a real curiosity there, which I'm always learning about. You know, even though I'm qualified, I think that's something we are always learning about ourselves, in ourselves. But yeah, so, so that's kind of kind of what um, led me to, to do it. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned as well about how human beings uh, change and adapt, and how even though you are still qualified, um, you, you still you still are more or less learning every single day, which is mm-hmm. absolute, which is absolutely amazing, really. Because mm. uh, if, we're, if we're not if we're not all learning in life, then uh, where are we going? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it's important to have that balance in this. Um, role in this career in this job you have you can understand people and um, think about maybe ways why they might behave and etc and then you also have to always remain curious and 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 the whole thing is curious not critical and when you're open and curious your clients will teach you what you need to be taught teach you know what I mean they'll teach they'll teach you something or there might be something that you think, oh, I thought it was going to go this way and then it'll suddenly change and, and you learn so much from your clients about yourself and your own responses, but also it's like, oh, I haven't got this all figured out and that's okay because that, that's what I love about my job. It's so stimulating and you're always learning and it, it's just a wonderful career in that sense because you're just always learning about people and how they grow and everything that kind of goes along with that. Yeah, definitely. And I and I think what's really interesting as well, um, it's, it seems to be a theme that it's talking about the way that people behave. It's very fascinating. And uh, why do you think that um, there's some people that behave the way they do, whether that's picking up bad habits? Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you think that why do you think humans behave the way they do oh, that's a big big question <laughs> yeah we could we could spend hours talking about that but I, I think I guess from my experience of working with people um a lot of the time 
behaviors become habitual and a lot of the time it's a learned behavior or what's being modeled to us by our parents or caregivers now obviously I do a lot of work with parents and young people so I'm sort of very immersed in that type of thing but I think often that's where some of it comes from and it's not until we get a bit older that we realize oh yeah that bad habit I have actually I think maybe my mom used to do that or that was in my family culture, it was normal and appropriate to behave that way. You know, it was normal to get angry really quickly or be anxious or be a worrier. And sometimes when we have that insight, when we get that insight, then that's when we can kind of start to make some changes. But that's, I think that's a big, a big, big part of it. You know, why we kind of tend to get stuck in a loop or a cycle of doing something that we know isn't good for us. Um, and, and it's like we need to gain perspective and step out of it and, and look at it from a wider glance. And that's kind of what I try to help people to do. But a lot of the time it is part of what we've grown up with and what's normal for our family culture and things like our temperament or personality types and all of that uh, environmental like that all contributes to it as well. Yeah, and it's def- it definitely can be a learned behavior with uh, mm-hmm. some people. It, it can be the environment that we're in, that we're in and how mm-hmm. how we adapt to that. And um, this this question I do I do want to ask is when when you first got into working with people, uh, what really stood out for you? Oh, that's a good question. I think what. I suppose what was really striking was how stuck people can get in their feelings and their emotions. And when you're stuck in an experience, like interpsychic experience, so a sadness or an anxiousness, which are the two biggest ones, like I see so much anxiety right now or low mood. It is so overwhelming and it's so huge that it's like a cloud is kind of surrounding someone. And, and, and my job is to kind of say, hang on, maybe we'll try and look at everything in your life. Let's look at the life space. Let's look at the context. Let's talk about the stuff that's actually been really difficult that might've kind of got you to this place and gain perspective on it. And that's kind of what I try to help people to do. But I think for sure that kind of stuck oh my God, am I going to feel this way forever? I just feel so sad. I can't get out of bed or, or you know, it, sometimes it really impacts functioning. Sometimes it doesn't. But the general sense of, whoa, is this going to get better? This is so overwhelming. I feel stuck. There's no movement. Where's the hope? Where's the... And, and that's on varying degrees of, of a scale, if you know what I mean. Like it's, but, but, but that's that's how, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. I think with anxiety, I think with anxiety and sadness and all the emotions that um, people can naturally feel, um, especially in the moment, mm-hmm. and 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 it can be so gradual as well, especially mm-hmm. when it especially when it comes to depression and anxiety, yeah. it can it sometimes it can either it's like a tsunami, um, yeah. the, the waves mm-hmm. can be calm, but all of a sudden. Um, it comes crashing through you yeah. and you feel so overwhelmed and yeah. overstimulated with mm-hmm. how you're feeling you don't really know how to react yeah yeah that's absolutely that's such a such a great way to describe it it's it's 
Exactly, exactly what you're describing. And, and I think what happens, another big piece of work that I do with people is how do you respond to yourself when that tsunami hits? Because what tends to happen is our inner critic gets really, really loud and we become self-critical and why can't I function like other people? Why can't I do this thing? Why aren't I able to go to work normally like other people, etc.? And it builds and builds and builds and it makes us feel worse and it makes our worlds get smaller and smaller. And so I'm big into how do we bring the compassionate voice into our into our lives, but also into our minds? What does that look like? And I, I do a lot of work, particularly with, with young people who can be very, very harsh. We live in a harsh world. Yeah. Um, but, but I do a lot of work around bringing compassion in when you really need it, because the last thing we need when we're down is to like you wouldn't be really cruel to a friend or but we're very we're not good at doing that to ourselves so it, it takes work and it takes practice but I think it's a really important thing to help when you're in a process like that yeah and I think I think as well especially when it comes to um people going through puberty um it's such a big change and I know mm-hmm. from a male perspective um mm-hmm. my example like I, I found the I found the changes to be so overwhelming at the start mm-hmm. because like as a male your voice gets deeper mm-hmm. um you, you mm-hmm. grow you grow hair down there and you yeah yeah and you experience so many mood swings and dysfunctional yeah. Yeah. changes within yourself that you don't really know yeah. how to handle and it can be the most yeah. overwhelming thing. And sometimes you can take that emotion out on your parents or other yeah, people um, that you're yeah. with. And it's re- it's very common for absolutely. teenagers to do that because yeah. they're, they're experiencing a quite significant change yeah, in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's, um, it's and particularly the early stages of adolescence is what we call the disembedding phase or that's a phrase by Mark McConville who's a big kind of writer in adolescence the field of adolescence and adolescent psychotherapy um but it is very much projection at that stage because the feelings you're having are so big I can't hold it I can't contain it I gotta put it out there and so I would meet a lot of parents who were like my child has changed overnight like who are they I don't recognize them they're angry they're shouting they're they're being really abusive they're being horrible to their younger sibling or whatever and and it's this type of um discourse that I'd be met with a lot and a lot of what I end up doing is educating the parents around the brain and the development and this is an actual another stage of development and we tend to forget that as a society we don't see adolescents as developmental but you know there's so much information when your kids are a year and two years and etc but then when they become adolescents it's like oh no teenagers they're all moody nobody wants to talk about it which isn't useful so so I kind of break it down into the three different stages and it, that's exactly exactly it's exactly what you're describing it, it's so overwhelming and it's about really being able to name that with the parents this is a huge feeling they can't contain it your job is to stand with them in this storm and try and help them contain it without being shaming and without making them feel bad and without essentially making them feel worse because it's such a vulnerable making time. Yeah, and I, and I say as well, it's the, um, there's, there's two different parts of the brain, like the prefront, 
the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until exactly. you're yeah. 25 yeah. and it's the um it's the other part of the brain I think it's called what what's it called amygdala yes that's yeah, it yeah that's yeah. it it's um like I guess uh I guess young people like particularly people around my age group I'm 21 like yeah. we can probably think more with emotion where um adults yeah. over 25 think yeah. more rationally more logically yeah yeah exactly. um yeah. so I think yeah. when parents say that oh my my child has changed overnight they've mm. they're not the same person they were a couple of days ago that's that's kind of their brain is developing it, that's their absolutely. brains changing yeah. yeah absolutely that's totally what it is and it, it's the um the link between the amygdala and, and this prefrontal cortex hasn't happened so that part of the brain that's responsible for perspective taking and okay god I had a really bad moment there but it's okay I can get on with the rest of my day and cope that isn't there so a bad moment becomes a bad day and um that's it completely can kind of take over but it's just a temporary phase and and then when you kind of move through to the next stages it's what we call like um the interiority phase is kind of the next stage up 16 18 and then where you're at they call that the integration phase and that's when things start to make sense and you, you start to maybe get more of a sense of who you are what you're interested in and you you find your voice a bit more and you're able to say actually this I don't really you know I don't really this thing doesn't suit me or I'm not really into that um but it's, it's hard. It's a journey. You know, it's a journey that we all go through, every single one of us. But, but we forget it very easily because people are like, oh, I don't really want to think about when I was a teenager, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that, that's that's the thing. They don't want to think about it. They hit the nail on the head because they were teenagers once and they were probably mm. nightmares for their parents, <laughs> they put it. So yeah. um, they, they kind of, I think more people got to realise from that perspective that, you know they were they were once uh, yeah. moody and you know grumpy in yeah. the morning and uh, mm-hmm. stuff like that and I f- mm-hmm. I think this kind of leads perfect onto the next topic really um, mm-hmm. self care mm-hmm. uh, what would you say is the importance of that um, I think what's really important with self-care is to understand what that means for you and what that looks like for you and it's different for everyone you know so so and there's a lot of talk about self-care which is useful but if you don't really understand like say someone who loves shopping and they think self-care is shopping and then they go and spend all the money and then they're in debt that's not really a good idea to do that so it's kind of around what you know so it's kind of around not not really reflecting on what does it mean for you but what does self-care look like for you like for me for example I love singing and I'm in a choir and I do that every Wednesday evening oh nice that's my thing but there's lots of other things I like but like I wouldn't do them as my self-care thing because because it costs too much money or it might not be a very wise idea but like there's I think it's it's really important but it's also about finding what works for you and what does it actually mean so like for some people it might be exercising you know they get their workout in every day or they go for a jog or run and that's really great and other people you know they might just want to go to a yoga class some people might just want to read their books um it, it depends on 
what your personality type is like as well, I think, and what you're drawn towards. And are you more extroverted or introverted or somewhere in the middle? And, and it's, it's self-care is really, when I think of self-care, I think of recharging batteries. Like how, how do I recharge my batteries um, so that I can function? Yeah. Um, again, I, I think the recharging the battery uh, bit analogy is really interesting because I think quite often after we've all come back from like a social event or um, mm. having a catch up with someone, um, we tend, you tend to just come back and I don't, and I don't know about you, but I know that after mm. I've so socialised, I just feel so exhausted, um, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Emotion, emotionally and mentally. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like I just need like an hour of just like yeah. pure yeah. like silence yeah. just to yeah. process what's just happened. Yeah, and it's really really useful to know that it's really useful that you do know that because now you know what works for you, so you can come home and just chill out and have your time by yourself alone, and that's that's how you recharge or that's your self care. Sometimes I think people think self-care means, oh, do I need to start a new activity or get a new hobby? And sometimes it's something as simple as just coming home from being out socially and just having an hour to just chill out and do nothing. You know, it, it doesn't sometimes have to be an extra thing. And again, it depends on what what people like in their lives and et cetera and what works for them. But that's a really good example of self-care. Yeah, and I, I think um, as well, people be quite guilty of not taking the time to actually mm-hmm. care for themselves mm-hmm. and to I don't know take not and to not take one hour out of their day to yeah. do do something that um yeah. that they like doing obviously um mm-hmm. go going shopping and, and spending the, um loads of money on clothes mm-hmm. and stuff like that which can uh get you into debt and mm-hmm. um potentially have further implications down the line <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah that's probably probably not the best mm-hmm. example of self-care but doing other things uh such as exercise uh me- meditation doing yeah you know, pilates whatever or reading a book uh watching something on youtube uh yeah. or taking the time to relax or yeah hell even just have a nap yeah exactly exactly there's no sort of wrong or right way to do it and, and i think that the thing is, we live in, in a culture that's so distracted because of social media and our phones and this constant, like we all have these devices that are constantly updating us about things we actually don't need to know about all the time. And it's really hard. You have to consciously decide, OK, I'm going to take a break from the world around me now because we live in a time where our our attention is constantly, constantly being grabbed and stolen from us. And so you, ha- you have to really make that a conscious choice. And I think it's really hard to do that. We need to remind ourselves that we live in a culture and a context that doesn't really encourage us to, to switch off or, or, or to have self-care. It kind of encourages the opposite. And so that makes it even harder to do. And that's why you nearly have to like really, really think about it and, and really be like, okay, this is something I'm going to decide to do every day. Um, like I, I used to do um, a lot of yoga. I don't really do it so much now anymore in the mornings or I would do like 10 minutes of morning meditation. And that would, you know, I would say to myself, OK, what's, the, what's my intention for today? And that would really just kind of set me up. And, and, and for the intention to not be something to do, 
but might be something like, like my thing was usually just to be calm and focused because I'd be, if, if I'm getting frazzled about stuff in my brain, that was usually my thing. And that's a really easy thing. You can find loads of that on YouTube and there's so many apps now to help you with meditation. But, you know, that, that's another form of it that works for me. But, but I find that really helpful because you're kind of setting yourself up for the day and you can lose your way throughout the day. But then you come back and say, oh, what was the intention I set for myself today? Um, yeah, so, so that's just a, kind of something that I find really helpful. I think we quite easily, especially when you go to work, uh, it's all of a sudden you you go you do work and then it's like you get loads of emails you have to do loads of tasks and yeah um and that can be incredibly overwhelming overstimulating yes. uh yeah. for, you, for you to do because yeah. uh you know you have all these things that you have to do and if you i don't i guess if you don't do some form of um like, i don't know meditation or just something simple as doing deep breaths in and out um, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. five minutes or whatever yeah and sometimes you, you could quite your brain could just quite easily get so overwhelmed yeah. by everything around you absolutely absolutely and I think it's really I'm big into like finding this is kind of stuff I would say to the, my clients a lot um, how do I find calm in my life every day? Like, is that something I actually have in my life? Because I think there's so much anxiety and we live in a very anxiety-provoking world at the moment that feeling calm tends to be the thing that people need. And it's, it's really about thinking, do I even have that? Do I even have 10 minutes where I have that in my day? And a lot of the time, people might not have that. And it's kind of, it's, it's important to be able to say, okay, how do I actually put this into my life? And what does that look like? And what does it mean? And what changes? And usually it's just something really simple and small that needs to be changed for that to happen. Yeah. And um, sometimes as well, it could be something simple as making those small adjustments, mm -hmm. small mm -hmm. changes. They don't even need to be major for you to um, feel a sense of calm in the face of adversity in the face of chaos uh, if, yeah. you, if if that's the best way I can put it mm -hmm. because um we're so our attention is so easily diverted mm -hmm. um, especially mm -hmm. with like you said earlier like phones and social media yeah um stuff um, random like clickbait articles you yeah. see yeah. on social media and yeah. and they do these like outlandish headlines for people to click on mm -hmm. and then that can yeah. get people worried because that's what yeah. that's what scaremongering is and absolutely uh, yeah the, the newspapers are experts at that mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely uh so uh, this this next question really um I wanted to go into so when you got in so when you sort of got into uh therapy and working with people and mm -hmm. um client and clients um what 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 was the sort of things you initially started to uh work on work on with them what was uh, the main focus um as in like the client symptoms like what, what yeah. kind of things people were presenting with yeah so I worked with in quite a specific context I worked in a student counseling service okay. um over in the UK where I trained so 
a lot of it was anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> There's just like a, a lot of it was anxiety as a consequence of issues like perfectionism, wanting to do better, get better grades, finding it difficult to make friends or socially integrate. Um, and then there was some kind of low mood as well or depression yeah. kind of almost as a consequence of, of the anxiety. But I would say when I look back, that was kind of like the biggest, like I was saying earlier about that stuckness, yeah. but, but the, the, that sense of um, real, you know, at that age and, and you're saying you're 21, it's very much that stage of development where that comparison thing is still going on in your head. And I mean, I still do that, and I'm in my thirties. Oh, I'm, I'm so guilty of that sometimes. Yeah, it's yeah. actually toxic. Yeah, and actually, Brene Brown, I think it's her, who says that comparison is the thief of joy. So I often remind myself of that when I'm like, if I see something on social media, you know, we're all guilty of it. But um, yeah, I think there was so it was a lot of that type of thing, um, and I guess what I will be doing is like I was saying, trying to help people to look at the context of it and understand maybe why. But I, that was very early on in my career and I've got much better at doing that now, yeah, I'll be yeah. honest, because I was a bit like, ooh, as well, you know, at the very, very start, you're still like very green and what am I doing and am I doing this right? And, you know, so, so in some ways, I suppose my experience was matching theirs. But um, yeah, I think that was probably the biggest presenting symptom. Yeah, and it, it does it does seem to be uh, the biggest thing when it comes to yeah. mental health. It it can yeah. a lot of a lot of it uh, comes down to anxiety and other, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, mental illnesses um, mm-hmm. uh, can sort of present mm-hmm. a lot alongside that. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so what would you say is like the difference between mental health and mental illness? Well, I actually, I think a lot of what we describe when we talk about mental health is the human experience. Yeah. So when I talk to my clients about what they're experiencing yeah. and what I hear that they're experiencing, it's not any different to what we've all experienced for years, probably for thousands of years. But now we have a name for these things and now we have language to put on it. And that's really, really useful and it's really helpful. 100%. But we also need to be a little bit careful to not pathologize the human experience. And so when you talk to me about mental illness, I think about things like really diagnosable things like um, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, manic sorry severe depressive disorder things that I generally wouldn't work with because that would be like more psychiatrist or psychologist based when I think about things like anxiety and and low mood I am always working with those things in a context and usually with me the context is of development so I like to frame it to my clients as this is something you're experiencing right now and you might have difficulties with it throughout your life. But I don't want them to feel limited 
by yeah. enabling themselves with it. So it's a really, really, it's a dance and it's a balance, right? It's a dance and it's a balance mm. because I absolutely hear their experience. And, you know, I'm someone who gets anxiety myself. I know how bad it can be. But it's also really useful to be able to say, okay, I am someone who experiences anxiety rather than I'm an anxious person. And, and, and those two things are important in terms of your sense of self and your identity. And I think that kind of really holding that and the kind of nuance of that is really, really, really important because it obviously is important to go and, you know, if you're really, really can't function and your anxiety is really high and it's just horrendous for you, of course, it's appropriate to go and, and get whatever medical intervention is necessary and, and do that. I'm not saying that's not, I think it's totally appropriate. But then it's also really important to do the talking piece and the therapy piece where you can develop more compassion towards yourself and the skills that will help you to manage it. And so it's all, it's a bit of a dance. I don't know yeah. if that answers your question, Colin. No, you explained it uh, perfectly. And mm -hmm. um, I, I think as well, uh, people therapy is more beneficial than people realize talking therapy mm. is mm. so it's so good in a way because you're talking to someone from who sort of knows you from an outside mm. perspective and sometimes mm. it's better to talk to someone who doesn't know you as well as perhaps like a family member or a friend or anyone like that because yeah. you you can rant to them about the uh yeah because talk to them about your problems and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um I don't know if you're experiencing bereavement you want you just want to scream and shout about how unfair the world is yeah and sometimes it's really good to do that because mm -hmm. it's it's important that we yeah. talk about our emotions and that's something we all should be doing a lot more of because I don't think we do that enough and I know there's a lot of stigma around mental mm -hmm. health in general and mm -hmm. uh therapy uh, there's mm -hmm. there's a lot mm -hmm. of stigma around that because it's like oh I've got to remain strong I've got to be yeah. uh, I've got to be yeah. dignified and yeah. you know in, yeah. in the face of yeah. adversity and and, yeah. and yeah. that's that's the, that, and that's the thing it's the yeah. whole strong upper lip uh phase yeah. that we tend to lose tend yeah. to use yeah and, and I think what's what's really important is in that when I'm working with people that's the lens that I'm taking is what like this experience you're describing to me sounds so hard and so tough and you're talking about bereavement and of course you feel angry of course you feel afraid of course you feel angry of, or, or sorry of course you feel so sad sometimes that you feel like you can't function and sometimes someone just hearing that like it can be so it can actually just be healing, even in itself. And, and oftentimes, you know, there's things like our personality types and our temperaments that inform things like anxiety and low mood and, 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 and the various ways in which our emotions are regulated or not. But then there's also experiences that happen in life, such as bereavement or, you know, bullying or parental separation or sexual abuse. And there's so many things that happen to us. And that's just a few things I'm mentioning. And it's really important to be able to give meaning to those experiences, to talk about them. And, and so a lot of what I do 
is I help young people to support their meaning making. So, and what that means really is I help them to make sense of their experience. And then usually it's like, oh my God, yeah, of course, of course I don't want to go into school when I've all this stuff going on at home. Or of course I'm getting angry with mom when I've all this stuff going on at school. You know what I mean? And it's really, it can be so useful to just stop and pause and say, what's going on internally? What's going on for me intrapsychically? Actually, what's really happening here? What's the yearning that I'm feeling? What is this about? And how, how do I kind of make sense of it? And, and then you just do that through talking and in a very, to someone who's going to be supportive, non-judgmental, compassionate. Yeah. That is so, so key, empathic. It's, it's just so, so important because we live in a very, loud judgmental critical world and it's yeah it's it's just not useful no and yeah we we do live in such a envious um critical judgmental world we Mm -hmm. we're very judgmental over the littlest of things as well such as um what car does what car someone has what house Mm -hmm. or job or Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. or if they've had that many kids or mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. or marriage mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's any time frame on when you can achieve those things. We're so um we're so drawn by society expectations. And if mm-hmm. we don't if we don't do something by a certain age, mm-hmm. like we, we tend to get so overworked by it and yeah. it and it yeah. bothers us to the point where you just mm-hmm. you're just like oh it's happening for those people but it's not happening for me why is this mm-hmm. and I think we tend to get so drawn by mm-hmm. society expectation yeah absolutely yeah that's definitely a huge part of it and, and I, I would translate that as pressure so that's mm-hmm. and that's what I would see a lot with the young people I work with particularly young girls who want to look a certain way and get really good grades that's the big thing now and it's um it's like living in a pressure cooker. Yeah. And so I'm trying to support them to come out from that a little bit and, and think about things that actually just make them happy and they can have a laugh and enjoy life. And, and it's all about balance. That These things are all about balance. Obviously, okay to work hard, but it's also important to enjoy life. And if you're, yeah. if, you're if, if societal expectations or if that type of thing is impeding you to the point that you're so stressed that you can't function or you're constantly thinking about the next thing, the next thing that will take away from the present and the present's really where it's at. But now that's really easy to say because we all do that. We all go into the future. We all, and sometimes you need to do that a little bit, Mm. but it's just, it's all about balance, you know? Yeah. We all plan and contemplate things. That's kind of human nature. We, we Mm. think, we think of all these scenarios that can, happen to us and sometimes they end up not happening to us we we all experience setbacks in life and it's how we get up from that and and go in again really because I know for a lot of people um particularly teenagers like if they experience one setback it's the end of the world and I know that because I've been there yeah yeah it can be the end of the world Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's what you're describing there is resilience. And that's what resilience is. It's how do we bounce back? You know, how do we come back from, from 
situations or things that that are upsetting and difficult and that that's where that's what resilience is yeah and i, th- I think as well uh, with resilience it's good it's good to have a level of resilience but um i, I suppose and you'll definitely agree with this that it's good to have a level of resilience but don't don't let don't be resilient to the point where you bottle up your emotions yes exactly because that's not resilience that's just basically like repressing your emotions and that's not useful either because then they'll come out in another way and they'll come out as an explosion and so when I talk about resilience it's it's more how you come back but not to the point that you immerse yourself in I don't know whatever your job or or whatever it is or your kids or, or your world um to the point that then you don't end up actually kind of allowing yourself to feel your emotions because then that that's no mean and no mean isn't good either yeah definitely and we we like like you say it's um it it's good to have that level but it's also good to just sometimes just recognize that it's okay to feel how you feel at the end of the day it's um it's okay to Mm-hmm. um to feel all these things yeah. and yeah um I, and this leads me on to my next question really so why do you think there's such a stigma around mental health in particular I just think for hundreds of years we weren't taught how to process emotions or talk about them so and now is the first time probably ever that we are beginning to find a language for our experience. But I think the attitudes are kind of like, you see, the thing with mental health or emotions is it's not a tangible thing that you can control or manage in a way that, you know, you can manage your finances or you can manage this or that. Like, it's not... Um, yeah. It's not something that is black and white. It's so nuanced. And that's why I think it's, it's a hard thing to talk about. I, I think that's why, you know, for years and years, it's kind of like, this is just part of being human. Get on with it. Like, why are you complaining? Um, and I think there's a difference between complaining and processing and talking about yeah. what you need to talk about, you know? And, and when those two things are seen as synonymous, that's where it's gone wrong. And, and obviously in, in Irish culture and English culture, that's such a thing like, you know, stiff upper lip, get on with it. Why would you be talking about this, that or the other, get over yourself kind of thing. And, and that's very harsh language. And I think it's, it's genuinely because just throughout history, we haven't been taught or learned as humans how to process and talk about things. Well, that's kind of what a lot of poetry would have, been written about and stuff like that but 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 in general I think people just were never taught it's okay to feel sad you know and it's okay to feel scared and it's actually really normal but the message has never been it's okay the message is this is normal get on with it mm. yeah definitely and I I think like you say it's only now that we're actually beginning to talk about it and to not feel such shame and stigma mm-hmm. attached to it mm-hmm. because um like you say for hundreds of years we've no one's really taught about yeah. mental health and particularly yeah. in 
schools uh, colleges yeah. uh, maybe universities work um it wasn't really spoken about it was kind of yeah. frowned upon if you like and uh, yeah. and I think it's only now that uh, they are starting to do those things and introducing more yeah. uh, mental health based yeah. stuff and I still think we can do more absolutely we can still do mm-hmm. more but yeah. I think the conversation around mental health is getting better absolutely yeah it's definitely moving in the right direction and shame is a huge huge part of why we don't talk about things um, and shame is a sticky icky feeling that keeps us quiet and when there's sort of hush hush shame is always with that you know and shame is also very focused on what do other people think or how will this land with other people and and that's I think been a part of the human experience for years and it still is but it definitely is moving in the right direction you're you're totally right about that there's less shame now attached to talking about how we feel about things and and it's becoming much more normalized which is really important and needs to happen yeah, definitely. And uh, just one final question for you, Mary, is uh, where can people find you? So you can follow me on Instagram on at Mary Hogan Therapy. That's the only social media I'm on because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a major fan. Um, yeah, so you can follow me there um, and I put up lots of different tips and tricks and, and that type of stuff. Yeah, I'm wonderful. And uh yeah, I just want to say, Mary, thank you so much for taking uh, the time today. Uh, I can imagine out of your mm-hmm. busy schedule to come on mm-hmm. to the, the podcast today. I greatly appreciate that. No, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, when this episode does come out, I'll put Mary's uh, social uh, Instagram and also put the website. So if you guys mm-hmm. do want to check that out, uh, I'm sure that would mean a lot to Mary. Uh, so once again, uh, thank you very much.